that the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. On the program, I'm talking with urban economic geographer Elliot Simiatiki about Vancouver's transformation from a productive city into a city of consumption, dominated increasingly by real estate and tourism. And we'll examine how the city's structure, feel, and image of itself have shifted over the last three decades and how the rise of precarious employment is implicated in this very transformation. You're tuned into the city, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
Welcome to the program here. This is the City Now, dedicated to critical urban discussions. I'm Andy Longhurst. Thanks for tuning in. Vancouver is increasingly being recognized as a model of urban development in the 21st century, Elliot Simiotiki writes. While much of the attention paid to Vancouver has focused on Vancouverism as an urban planning and design approach that encourages high-density, amenity-rich, mixed-use development, to re-energize urban cores. Elliot Simiotiki's research examines the exceptional economic development trajectory underlying Metro Vancouver's urban transformation since the early 1980s. The central cr- claim in his research uh, is that changes to the built form of the city over the past three decades represent a fundamental shift in the orientation of the local economy away from export-oriented resource activity and business services services towards towards local consumption in real estate and tourism, which is driven by inward international investment and immigration. The single most important outcome of this largely unplanned shift in urban economic development has been the unprecedented increases in local housing prices. Instead of a healthy, diversified economy, this reorientation of Vancouver as a consumption city has created a dysfunctional hybrid economy characterized by significant job losses in key local economic sectors, below average levels of productivity and exports, and relatively low incomes. Above all, the many paradoxes of Vancouver's contemporary economic development trajectory are exposed in the words of local workers, firms, commentators, and industry experts. Vancouver is simultaneously the most livable and unaffordable city in the world. Vancouver is a leading creative city in which creative firms and workers alike struggle under conditions of precariousness. Vancouver is mythologized as a healthy, sustainable lifestyle city, while these very qualities often must be sacrificed by working Vancouver residents. Tracing the underlying story and and challenges of Vancouver's emergence as a global consumption city provides important insights into 21st century urban development. And those are uh, Elliot Simiotiki's words. Elliot Simiotiki is a postdoctoral fellow at York University in Toronto, and he completed his PhD from the University of British Columbia in 2013. His PhD research examined Vancouver's urban economic transformation over the last three decades, and his dissertation is titled Consumption City, Precarious Labor and Capital in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I spoke with Dr. Simiotiki in Toronto by phone on January 27th. First of all, do you want to give me a bit of a broad outline about uh, what you found in your research? So my research was... Um, aimed at both giving 
um, a kind of analysis of Vancouver's economy, as well as some of the issues around precarious employment in different key sectors of the Vancouver economy. And um, one of the key findings, I think, is that this idea of precarious employment is emerging and leaking, you might say, into um, different sectors of the economy than we're normally uh, used to considering seeing precarious employment. So my research was designed to compare different experiences um, across sort of lower-skilled occupations and higher-skilled occupations. And what we've seen is um, the growth of precarious employment across different uh, sectors of the labor market. Great. And uh, I guess to, to jump in more specifically to some of these issues, uh, can you give us a sense of, of what's going on in Vancouver um, and uh, maybe give us a bit of a history on the, the urban economic transformations that have occurred over the last um, three decades or so and what's been going on and bring us right up to the present. Sure. Um, Vancouver is, is a pretty uh, interesting city in terms of its uh, sort of economic underpinnings. You'll often hear people ask what do people in Vancouver do or why are there always people on the beach at 2 p.m. on weekday. Those are the kinds of things you hear, especially from uh, people that are visiting the city. Um, and so I think certainly as, as an urban geographer and as an economic geographer, my initial kind of aim when I was doing my research was not necessarily to track uh, the changes in the city's economy per se. I was really more interested on the kind of labor um, and kind of job side of, of, what, what I'm, uh, of what I've been studying. But it's impossible to study issues um, in, in the economy without really understanding how Vancouver's economy has been transformed over the past three or four decades, I would say. And so Basically, the way um, the way I look at it, and the way I've I've argued Vancouver has changed, is that up until the 60s and 70s, Vancouver was very much um, a kind of command and control center for uh, the province's uh, regional staples economy. Uh, this is something that uh, that that Trevor Barnes has called Vancouver as a staples as a staples center, and so all of the um, areas around Yale Town and, and the warehouses and, and you know parts of Vancouver's current downtown uh, office towers, all of that was geared towards um, the resources sector up until the 1970s and 80s. And what my research has picked up on, and there's a, a very large literature um, that's that's looked at this. So this is primarily what I looked at. Um, was that there was a shift in Vancouver's kind of economic foundations or fundamentals in the 1980s. And a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, price problems and, and problems in the economy around resources. So there were um, two sort of massive economic crises in Vancouver during the 1980s. And those really kind of, I think, shaped how the city would uh, transform itself moving forward. And so in my research, I really see the period from 1986 when Expo uh, happened in Vancouver to 2010 uh, when the Olympics were hosted in Vancouver. I see those as the kind of bookends 
of a period of very rapid and fundamental transformation in the city's certainly economy, but also its, its kind of cultural and demographic um, underpinnings. And so what I think has happened is that the city has um, lost a lot of its kind of productive aspects um, that were that were based on resources. Much of that has has kind of uh, either moved or declined to a certain extent. And there's been um, much more emphasis on what I've come to call uh, consumption-oriented uh, factors. So things like real estate and tourism. Um, as the kind of keys to the economy. And so what we've seen is that the city's structure, the city's feel, uh, the city's image of itself, all of those things have changed um, very fundamentally over the past three decades. And so what I found in doing my research was that it was impossible to just look at um, the labor market or look at people's jobs without understanding that relationship between the job side of thing and the broader economic change. And, and that's kind of where my research went, which was somewhat unexpected. So my research has, has looked at um, some of the changes in the basic fundamentals of Vancouver's economy. And one of the interesting things that we've seen over the past three decades is something that really no other city, uh, certainly in North America and, and maybe in the world, can kind of say that it has this particular economic relationship. In Vancouver, the uh, level of uh, incomes, the median incomes for the city relative to all other major cities uh, in Canada, Vancouver has the lowest average incomes, the lowest mean, uh, medium incomes. And yet it has the highest uh, uh, housing Costs on average for a city uh, of its of its uh, of a city for a city of its size in Canada. So normally, when we see a rise in the cost of housing, it's explained by the fact that the economy is growing, people's incomes are improving, and that's what's pushing up the cost of housing. But in Vancouver, that relationship breaks down, and there's um, you know there, there's a good amount of research that that kind of points. Uh, in that direction. So there's a fundamental problem, something that we don't normally see in other cities. And the answer here, the way of explaining that, is that there's been a huge amount of investment into Vancouver um, that hasn't derived from the Vancouver economy itself. And so that's why in my research I've looked at the sort of nature of Vancouver as a consumption economy and what explains this rise in the cost of housing um, if it's not local incomes. And the short answer to that question is that there's been a huge amount of investment coming from outside of Vancouver. It's not all foreign investment, that's for sure. Um, as a lot of people think, there's um, you know, investment coming in from mainland China and Hong Kong and parts of the Middle East. There, there are investment streams from there, but that's not the whole of it. There's also a lot of investment coming in from other parts of Canada and, and, uh, and the Western United States. So what we've seen is that in this 30-year period, I think it's fair to say that Vancouver has fashioned itself. It's, it's, it's promoted itself as a place to be, a place to live, a place to enjoy, um, 
not so much a place that's you know great for doing business necessarily even though when you actually look at its um its sort of business fundamentals it's got very low tax rates um it's it's got a relatively friendly business environment but um it's lost a lot of head office jobs it's lost a lot of um sort of knowledge economic activity so my my read is that the economy has shifted away from what i call the productive side of the economy and towards the consumption side of the economy and my dissertation was really about understanding the challenges that come about from an urban studies perspective from a labor studies perspective and also from a geographical perspective from that basic tension hmm. can you talk more about um what sort of what what we mean by a consumption city and the turn to real estate tourism um how does this maybe change the the fabric of the city and and um what what constitutes it and how people imagine it and think of it um and some of the more everyday effects that it has on people and maybe relate this to to your interviews and how you talk to people in a number of different sectors about um about some of these issues so that's a great question um, and it's a question that I've certainly uh, gotten on a number of occasions. So, as I said, the research that I did um, in some ways was two dissertations kind of jammed together. And that worked in certain ways, but it also had its challenges. Um, and one of them was really explaining uh, the basis of this consumption city. And so what I mean um, when I talk about consumption, Vancouver as a consumption city, um, is that a greater proportion of Vancouver's um, economic activity is related to non-export uh, industries, so industries that are not producing something from Vancouver. And so tourism is clearly a key one, and, and tourism has grown very rapidly uh, in Vancouver and indeed in, in British Columbia over the past two decades. Um, and then real estate is another key one. And here real estate, you know, is um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sector that crosses different sort of boundaries of the economy. It includes the construction sector. It includes, um, uh, you know, real estate and insurance. Uh, it includes urban planning and economic development. So a lot of these things are kind of rolled into one. But the key idea, I think, that comes out of my research is that Certainly in North American cities, it might be time to think a little bit differently about what's been termed the global city. So in the academic literature, um, and, and, and in some ways more, uh, more and more in the mainstream literature, there's an idea of what a global city is. And the global city is one which um, is a city that houses certain kinds of economic activity, basically finance. Um, business services like law and accounting. These are the cities that are, you know, the, the command and control centers of a global economy, the New Yorks, the Londons um, of the world. And those are places that are defined by their productive sectors, the, the exports, uh, the, the knowledge exports that they, that they deliver. Vancouver is no less a global city than anywhere else. It's got as much investment 
as much demographic movement, as much cultural and cosmopolitanism as any other city. So it's in every way a global city, but not in the way that we often define global cities. So it doesn't have a high um, rate of financial jobs, of business services jobs. It doesn't even have a super high rate of some creative jobs. So the the sort of um, the paradox or the, 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 the dilemma about defining Vancouver is that it doesn't really fit many of the um, kind of frameworks and models that we have to explain cities and urban development. And so what we see in Vancouver is a disproportionate amount of activity going into what I call these consumption sectors. So real estate, tourism, and those bleed into other sectors, for example, um, retail and food services, um, where tourists have to stay in hotels, they need to eat meals. And as I was saying before, I think this reorientation, the, the greatest sign of this reorientation is the disparity between housing costs and incomes. The fact that, that this kind of relationship exists uh, in a way that doesn't exist in many other cities. And Vancouver is now, uh, depending on which uh, uh, measure you use, it's one of the least affordable cities in the world. The Economist in 2013 named it the most expensive city in North America, more expensive than New York City. So this particular um, indice is a sign of Vancouver's reorientation towards consumption. And in my research, this has been one of the key issues that business leaders are talking about, that workers are talking about. The, the major argument that I make uh, in my dissertation is that Vancouver's productive sectors have been sacrificed in the growth of the consumptive sectors. So business leaders talk about the challenges that they have recruiting talent because of how expensive it is to live in the city. Workers complain about their work-life balance problems because they have to work harder in order to afford a certain kind of lifestyle. And so the challenges, the tensions that come about with respect to these different kind of orientations of the city is essentially what my research was about. Can you talk about what we might consider productive um, productive sectors in sort of a, a new economy, quote unquote, framework? There's a lot of talk politically right now in Vancouver um, coming out of, of the, the ruling um, municipal party about the importance of high tech um, jobs to the city. And sort of there's been a lot of talk right now about um, about a, a sweet deal for a space, a city owned space um, for Hootsuite. Um, that was not at, at a market rental rate. So, but there's a lot of talk about the importance of high tech to Vancouver, and I'm wondering, um, is it really as important as some people make it out to be? So this is another really interesting question, and I think uh, business leaders and political leaders in Vancouver are increasingly aware of some of these challenges. And so you see, you know, the city crafting its affordable housing policy, which I think has its own problems and challenges. And it's now gone in the sort of economic development realm to try to attract and retain um, businesses that provide what we consider to be good jobs. And in my view, every city, and I'm now in Toronto and you see the same kind of things happening, every city is trying to attract and retain uh, businesses and companies that provide good jobs. And 
The challenge, and this is where, uh, you know, one of the case studies in particular, I did a case study of the, of the video game sector in Vancouver, uh, which has sort of been the darling of the, of the new media sector uh, in Vancouver over the past at least decade and, and maybe two decades. And what we've seen is that these are very, very dynamic industries. And so you can do a lot of different things to try to um, give incentives to these, for these businesses to stay. But the reality is that there's a huge amount of competition from a number of different cities uh, in North America and increasingly around the world to, to bring in and attract and, um, you know, in some ways steal businesses from other jurisdictions. And my, my, my read on this is that in Vancouver, there is definitely a need to improve the job market, to improve the stock of good jobs. And so I think a lot of different political parties are looking at um, the, the sort of options that they have to try to do that and providing, you know, sp uh, spaces and giving tax credits and doing all of these things are, are, are some of those strategies. Um, and, and they may work in the short term, but my sense is that they're working against the grain of the trajectory of the city's economy. And this is, this is a, a difficult question uh, to answer. It's, it's one that has come up for um, a few years in Vancouver. A lot of people have complained about you know, Vancouver becoming a kind of resort city. Uh, the architectural critic Trevor Bodie, amongst others, has talked about the de-downtownification of Vancouver, where you're seeing less and less uh, business activity going on in the city and more uh, kind of residential and cultural activity going on in the city. And this is a difficult sort of strategic question um, uh, for planners and politicians and economic developers and, and indeed um, workers and citizens of the city. It, it, it's really a broad question of what, what kind of city do you, do you want to have and, and, and what control do you really have over, over building uh, uh, those kind of foundations. And in Vancouver, a lot of people have said we should try to get more good jobs, and, and I take that point. But, you know, Vancouver is a really nice place to be. It's a nice place to live. And there's also an argument to be made that um, you know, f to take a kind of economist's uh, language, it might be that in a global economy, Vancouver's uh, comparative advantage is as a consumption city. And that if that's the case, then it means that you're not really thinking about how do you redistribute money to keep certain companies that you think are strategic in the city. It might be about using that as your comparative advantage, but trying to redistribute money in different ways um, so that there is a broad um, kind of prosperity to be gained. And, and that's clearly not what has been happening uh, in Vancouver over the past two or three decades. Uh, it's become one of the most unequal cities, uh, one of the cities in which it's toughest to... Um, gain footing in the housing market. Um, and so I, th I think there are potential opportunities to um, kind of improve the situation, but 
we're still in a situation we're still in a kind of time where that understanding of the city's reorientation i don't think has really sunk in and what we're seeing are you know strategies that try to one way or another improve the situation but they haven't fully come to terms with the fact that vancouver has changed and if it has changed then you have to think about um, moving forward, do you want to work against that change and really try to become a kind of business city, a productive city that relies on creative and knowledge jobs? Or maybe you'll be something else. That's something that I don't think political and business leaders have really come to understand yet. Your research complicates um, a number of ways that that scholars and others have thought about precarious employment and it being traditionally experienced at the low end or the bottom end of the, the labor market. Can you talk specifically about at, about precarity across different occupational categories um, and across um, income uh, groupings as well? Sure. Um, so I, this, is, th- this issue of, of precarious employment is definitely one that's increasingly on the radar uh, in the mainstream um, news media coverage. Um, there's a lot of interest in the rise of precarious jobs. And when we talk about um, precarious jobs, we're essentially talking about jobs that don't have um, a kind of full-time and permanent basis to them. And there's lots of different um, kinds of, of contractual uh, um, obligations that can produce precarious employment. So we're typically um, used to finding precarious employment in, as you said, in sort of lower skilled and lower income jobs uh, in the retail sector, in the food services sector, to a certain extent in the agricultural sector. Um, And this could be contract work. It could be work that's gained through an intermediary like a temporary agency Uh, It could be part-time work. And so there's been a very rapid rise in this kind of employment, uh, certainly in the Canadian economy, and as um, many labor studies scholars are showing, really across the world in different contexts. And one of my sort of real interests was both to understand how or the degree to which Uh, precariousness was leaking into higher-end labor market sectors, so jobs uh, that are higher skilled and typically higher income, but also what some of the local factors are that might shape the experience of precarious employment, that might make um, the very same job with the very same um, uh, contractual relationship, that might make that experience different between different cities or different localities. So what I did was I studied, um, I studied three different sectors of the Vancouver economy. And I was trying to look at one sort of uh, lower skilled service sector. So I looked at the food services sector, which is a major component of, of Vancouver's job market. And then I looked at two other key uh, higher skilled sectors of the economy. One of them was a creative sector, the, the video game sector, as I mentioned before. And the other was uh, the legal services sector. And I was particularly interested in lawyers. So what I found was that there are increasingly um, 
conditions of precarious employment that are crossing the boundaries of the low-skilled labor market. Um, and the, you know, the interesting finding was how different the nature of that precariousness was in these different sectors. So I'll go through each of them very quickly. The food and beverage servers um, basically had uh, experiences or conditions that we typically have found in the literature before. So a lot of part-time work, a lot of uh, very short-term and contract-oriented work at very low wages. And these individuals that were in these jobs were primarily women and primarily uh, young people. And so this gives you a certain kind of image of, of um, you know, a younger worker that's sort of struggling to create a career. And one of the key findings from this particular case study was that many of the workers uh, in the two restaurants that I was looking at, many of those workers were actually members uh, of what we might call Richard Florida's creative class. So they were, uh, they were actors in Vancouver's film industry. They were fashion designers. They were theater majors. They were students. And they were using uh, the food services sector to uh, kind of add to their incomes or maybe to be their, the basis of their income. And so this created a lot of issues around moonlighting and, 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 uh, and multiple job holding. And that was one of the key sort of findings uh, in that case study. On the higher end of the labor market, um, there were, you know, it, it was really interesting to see what kind of, what precarious employment looks like. And I'll just talk very briefly about the video game sector because that I think was the key sort of really interesting case. In the video game sector, I was expecting to see the, the sort of the going hypothesis you could say was that there would be a rapid growth of precarious jobs or contract jobs or part-time jobs um, as this industry became more competitive. And what we found was that there was some growth in certain parts of the video game development process. So in some of the, in some of the artistic renderings uh, that could be done um, sort of by, by um, somewhat lesser skilled people. That work was kind of contracted out. Some of it was, was increasingly uh, even being offshored to different parts of the world, uh, South Korea, China especially. In the higher end of that particular labor market where the software developers and the designers and the engineers are, there wasn't as much contract work as I was expecting. So this was a case where it looked as though maybe there wasn't the growth of precarious and contingent work. But when you dig in a little bit deeper and you look at the dynamics of the industry, as I was saying before, these knowledge and creative companies are very, very uh, dynamic and insecure. And so what, was, what, what I continued to hear over and over again was that workers had full-time jobs, but the companies went out of business overnight and then you were out of a job, but then you found a new job and you went at that for as long as the company worked. And when it stopped working, then you lost your job and got a new job. So the precarious employment that I found uh, in the video game sector was not so much about the employment relationship. It wasn't about whether it was full-time work or part-time work or contract work. It was actually about the nature of the, of the businesses and the nature of the industries.
And full-time workers could be just as precarious as part-time workers because they were prone to losing their jobs without a huge amount of, um, you know, without a huge amount of knowledge or or uh, or or any sort of expectation that that could happen. And so the broader point is that precariousness is emerging in these different sectors, but it's emerging in very different ways. Is there a pinch point, though, for for people who are at a point in their lives where they can't do that? They can't or they don't want to ha- end up having their small firm fold and then have to scramble to put something else together with three other partners. I'm just curious, like, what does this mean for the the demographic fabric of the city um, when people maybe want some stability, they want to have children, they want to have a family. What is um, what might this tell us about that? So, for workers that were in the legal sector and the video game sector, so the the higher skilled, higher income case studies, that was the major issue that I heard over and over again um, in terms of the experience of working in Vancouver. And this sort of goes to. Um, some of the issues that we were talking about earlier in terms of sort of Vancouver's image and Vancouver's reputation. What I heard over and over again was that Vancouver was a a nice place to be a software developer when you're 20 or 25. You're getting paid relatively well. You might be able to afford, you know, a condo downtown. There's a nice lifestyle. But and you're not too concerned about the security of your work. You, if, if you had to move to Seattle, if you had to move to San Francisco, if you had to move to Montreal, that wouldn't be such a big deal to find a, a new job. But a lot of the uh, individuals in the video game sector, especially, once they pass that sort of um, 25 to 30-year-old threshold, they start to look for some of the security and stability in their careers. And in a lot of these industries, that security simply isn't there. And for the lawyers, very quickly, for the lawyers, the the problem was just one of of massive overwork and and stress and pressure. And so, um, for them, it was it was really an issue of kind of work life balance and not being able to uh, uh, enjoy a kind of balanced lifestyle. Uh, in the way that Vancouver would suggest, but they were making the same kinds of arguments that their work was impeding um, a sort of the creation of a balanced and healthy lifestyle. And what I think is so interesting and one of the major sort of paradoxes of Vancouver's recent development is that we all think of Vancouver as the place to achieve a healthy and balanced lifestyle. That is what Vancouver trades on. And yet when you talk to people, especially the people who are supposed to be the success stories of Vancouver, the people who've actually landed the good jobs, they're constantly complaining about their work-life balance challenges, overwork, um, commuting in from the suburbs into you know jobs in the downtown. There, are, there are a lot of different challenges um, that 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 individuals face as they move through the trajectory of their careers, and this is, I think, a problem that is being faced in a lot of different places. It's not um, unique to Vancouver, but the problems are most intense in Vancouver because of the basic sort of conditions of the economy that we've that we've talked about before. Do you see other paradoxes as well with, with an economy increasingly tied to flows of, of tourism and the activity that, uh, economic activity that, that is generated from that 
and and this idea of Vancouver as the greenest city and being tied to things like air travel and and very intensive um, fossil fuel usage. I'm just kind of teasing out some of these tensions, perhaps. Yeah. So so I think there are a number of different of different paradoxes and and uh, I give them different names in the dissertation. Certainly there's the livability paradox and this might be the main paradox that Vancouver is known around the world it's in fact spawned an urban planning approach around livability uh, and and it it there are planners and developers in Vancouver that now sell this notion of Vancouver and Vancouverism and you know, it's it's very difficult to talk about uh, Vancouver as the most livable city in the world when it's also literally the most unlivable city in the world in terms of housing costs. So this is clearly just a total kind of contradiction uh, in terms. Um, the health uh, paradox, which I talked about before, I think that's that's a major issue. And it's actually an issue that a lot of business leaders are talking about. Um, and I wasn't expecting to hear this, but a number of the owners of businesses that I talked to would say things like, you know, I attracted, I attracted talented workers to Vancouver because they wanted to go to Whistler. They wanted to be able to, um, you know, use, use the beach or use go kayaking or use all of the outdoor amenities that Vancouver has. And what they continue to hear is that the workers complain that they don't have enough time to use those amenities or to enjoy those amenities or to have that kind of lifestyle. So that's the kind of um, the health and wellness paradox. There's certainly a green paradox. And, you know, Vancouver, um, as it aspires to become the greenest city in the world in 2020, I think there are two major elements of that paradox. The first, of course, is that as a tourist city, Vancouver is highly, highly dependent on air travel and its airport. And it's, this is one of the areas where we can actually track the sort of disproportionate importance of air travel uh, to a city's economy. And, and Vancouver's airport is a much bigger element of the economy than in most other cities, for example, Toronto. Um, so, of course, we all know that that air travel is highly polluting. So that's its own kind of, um, uh, that's its own sort of paradox. The other paradox is that the sort of increasing uh, housing costs in the downtown core of Vancouver has displaced a lot of people who normally would have liked to live urban lifestyles. It's displaced them to the suburbs. And so while we often think about Vancouver as just the city of Vancouver, the economy and the sort of culture of Vancouver really needs to be seen in a broader light. We really need to be looking at Metro Vancouver. And when we do that, it means that we have to include the Surreys and the Burnabys and the Richmonds and the West Vans and the North Vans in our discussion of what's happening in Vancouver. And when you do that, you realize that the city of Vancouver has been declining precipitously as uh, the base of population and economic activity in the city over the past 50 or 60 years. So that suburbanization that kind of goes unnoticed because everyone is so enamored with downtown Vancouver, that is a big part of the paradox uh, of Vancouver's aspirations of, of being the greenest city. 
So specifically, and sorry to interrupt, what do you mean when you say uh, Vancouver is losing population and losing economic activity? So this is a this is a really interesting point. I I've gone to a lot of different um, you know speaker series and conferences. Uh, I've heard different presentations about the growth of population in the downtown core, and the planners at the city of Vancouver like to talk about how much the population has grown in the downtown in the downtown core in those in all those condos that you can see uh, in the downtown core, and that is true. But the the bigger picture is that in 1965, and we did this research uh, two or three years ago, in 1965, Vancouver had 50% of the population of, Van- of, the, of the region, and it had 50% of the jobs. And what we've seen over the last 50 years is that Vancouver now has about 25% of the population of the Metro Vancouver region and about one third of the jobs. So basically, it is true that there's been growth, uh, recent growth in the population of Vancouver, but it's much slower than the growth that's happening in Burnaby, in Surrey, and increasingly moving into the Fraser Valley and the Abbotsfords, and you can go further. Um, Those areas are growing much, much more quickly than the population and economic uh, sphere is in Vancouver. And what this leads to, um, I think, is you know a, a real need to understand uh, Vancouver's suburban development rather than just its urban development. What does this mean as well for uh, things like agricultural land in the Fraser Valley and the pressure that it places on on that that arable land? So there's obviously uh, been a, a history of protecting. Uh, agricultural land and the agricultural land reserve. Uh, And there have always been encroachments since the agricultural land reserve was established. There have been encroachments on that land reserve. And my, my feeling is that as much as possible, that land needs to be protected. Um, You know, there have been, you know, critics that say that Vancouver could never be, you know, uh, food self-sufficient, even if it wanted to be. And that might be true, but um, when you look at the kinds of development that have been going on in Vancouver's sort of suburban peripheries, until I'd say five year, five or ten years ago, much of that was just your basic uh, suburban, you know, single-family house, just track land building, and you know, you can continue to sprawl, you know, as far as you want to. Um, but it really calls into question the sustainability of the region. And this is where I think um, it's interesting. I think, I think Vancouver calling itself or aspiring to be the greenest uh, city by 2020 is, is, is very disingenuous because in any other place, Vancouver as a city would be understood as the region. But because of the sort of fractured nature of Vancouver's um, political landscape, Vancouver can say it's got, you know, green buildings and green uh, strategies and, and all of those things. But Vancouver really needs to be treated at the regional level. And what's interesting is that the GVRD, Metro Vancouver, has actually been a very successful 
um, sort of organization, I would say, at developing sustainability strategies. And I'm thinking most, uh, mostly here about building density into the suburbs. And that, I think, is a success story in Vancouver. It's beginning to happen in other cities. But in Vancouver, you're beginning to see nodes of dense development happening um, in Burnaby, in Richmond, and in, and increasingly in Surrey. And it's not like that kind of development um, comes with no challenges. Often those kinds of developments encroach on particular land. They have their own challenges. But I think it's encouraging to see more dense development happening in the suburbs. And that has happened at the regional level, not as the result of anything that the city of Vancouver has been doing. So I see Vancouver's um, sort of green and sustainable image as, as very problematic.
And welcome back to the program. This is CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and we're syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, coming from Burnaby Mountain. And uh, it's available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. And uh, you can also, if you missed any part of the program um, or you want to check uh, check out other podcasts, you can uh, check it out all there. That's, again, thecityfm.org. And that uh, was Elliot Simiotiki. Um He is uh, currently a postdoctoral fellow at York University in Toronto and completed his PhD from the University of British Columbia in 2013. And his PhD research examined Vancouver's urban economic transformation over the last three decades, and his dissertation is titled Consumption City, Precarious Labor and Capital in Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, we're going to hear actually um, my discussion with Elliot um, over uh, over two weeks, um, continuing into next week um, and tomorrow or excuse me, next week uh, uh, on the program here, Tuesdays, um, 5 to 6 p.m. on CITR and, and syndicated on CJSF on Fridays, 10 to 11 a.m. Um, you can hear again part two of that conversation with Elliot um, about uh, what the future holds for Vancouver. And we'll be asking some really critical questions about we, we seem to be at this juncture and um, whether uh, whether we can do something else in Vancouver and if that's even desirable. So if, if Vancouver has become a consumption city dominated by consumption-oriented uh, sectors, as he outlines, um, is there desire um, among policymakers um, whom he talk, talks to in interviews um, to do something else? Or is there even acknowledgement that we are sort of going down this path um, to to more consumption, real estate, tourism, and is there a desire to look towards something else? So those discussions and more uh, will continue next week on the program. So check that out Tuesdays, 5 to 6 p.m. here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and again, uh, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. And we're going to uh, close up the show today, um, but again, thanks for tuning in and uh, your interest in the program. And uh, if you, again, want to check out more, go to thecityfm.org. Um, find us on Facebook um, by searching The City Critical Urban Discussions. And also on Twitter. Um, lots of stuff um, coming out of Twitter. Try to uh, tweet uh, the latest um, in Vancouver stuff, but also um, more uh, global urban stuff that, that might be of interest. So that's uh, by searching the handle, the city underscore FM. And uh, again, check us out next week. Um, But other than that, have a wonderful week. And we'll be back next week with more critical urban discussions. I'm Andy Longhurst. Have a good one.